A very good morning to all who are gathered here, as well as to those who are joining us online. Uh, it's my honor and privilege to be sharing from God's Word with you this morning. Uh, let's begin with the word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us today through your word so that we can know you and trust you. Help us to see our lives rightly with spiritual eyes with an eternal perspective that's based on your truth, rather than just relying on what we perceive with our senses. Help us to remember, Lord, that this world and the things that everyone lives for will eventually one day fade away, but the only true eternal hope lies in you alone. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So viruses are the invisible, unseen threat that we've been kind of living with for the past two years, isn't it? They upended our world. So funny is that the funny thing about this coronavirus is that it had a unique balance of transmissibility and severity that allowed it to have a global impact where, well, not for a hundred years, we haven't seen a virus impact our world this way. What do I mean? Because there were viruses that were more lethal than the coronavirus, but it didn't spread beyond its local region, like Ebola, for example. It kills faster and in a more dramatic way with blood, you know, uh, hemorrhaging everywhere from the, from the patients who are infected. And whenever Ebola rears its head, people clamp down on it, they lock down hard, and it never spreads, thankfully. But somehow, with a mixture of um, being more transmissible and being less severe, as it were, and with the added bonus of being infectious before symptoms come up. That is the unseen threat of the coronavirus that, we are, that causes all to be masked, that kept us from church for a long period of time, and we're still feeling its effects today. Now today in our passage, we're also talking about another unseen threat that we hope to deal with that I feel that is just as dangerous, if not even more dangerous. And that is the spiritual danger. And we'll see this in the passage of, in the form of two demon-possessed men today. So last week in Matthew chapter 8, we saw Jesus and his disciples face danger from a storm. We saw that the disciples, seasoned fishermen who made their living off the lake, began to fear. They know that this kind of storms would kill them, right? They panicked. They feared that they would drown. And Jesus took a nap. <laughs> the disciples were panicking, right? And we saw Jesus cancel out the storm, steal it, rebuke it. And with the, uh, we were reminded that Je when Jesus is present with us, we know that we will not perish and that we have no need to panic, right? So now with the storm calm, they, the boat arrives safely at the destination, at the shore of the Gadarenes, where Matthew unpacks his next encounter, where the encounter with two demon-possessed men, as you've read in Matthew chapter 8. So you can have either your outline uh, at that passage as we walk through it, or even as... Uh, your, your Bibles on Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And my message uh, in the outline as well, you will see that it's in three parts. Uh, first, in verse 28, Jesus meets the demoniacs. Part two, Jesus exercises his authority over the demons uh, from verses 29 to 31. And last but not least, uh, the town's response. Jesus was asked to leave the town in verse 33 to 34. And the takeaway for us today is that demons are dangerous enemies that are completely defeated by Jesus. And we need to respond rightly to this spiritual reality. So we come to verse 28. When he, come, when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So first we see here that we have demon, the, the translation has here demon-possessed. 
literally they are being demon, right? Or being demoning. It was a it's a participle, present participle, right? That the demons took control over the person, that no trace of that person's original personality existed, right? That the, the demons were in complete control of these people and that they came out of the tomb. So the demons drove these two men to live amongst the dead live amongst the unclean, to drive them away that were not fit for society, to drive them to unclean places, right? And, and they reeked of death wherever they were. And they were so fierce that no one could pass their way, that they terrorized the region whenever they appear. That when they show up, right, the townspeople would have to avoid the passing through where they were. Okay? Now, demons are real. Now, we may come to mind when we, we see a mentally disturbed person walk in the middle of traffic and all the cars stop, right? Um, and that's when th that uh, person is not being vocal or you know, violent in any form, and they can be disruptive. Um, but what I want to say is that that may be a, mentally, uh, a case of mental health, a psychiatric patient. And while demons are real, they are not mental health phenomena. Why do I say that? Because if these men were merely psychiatric patients that escaped the ward, as it were, um, it would not explain what happens in this narrative with the pigs, nor with their knowledge of who Jesus is, right? That demons, while they can, on one sense, display similar symptoms as someone who is mentally disturbed, they are not the same and should not be dealt with the same way. Psychiatric patients need psychiatric help. They need medicine, they need counselling, they need therapy, right? But demons are a spiritual foe that need to be engaged in spiritual battle. And while we see it's scary, wow, what would it be for a human to be completely dominated by the demonic, right? There is a far more unseen, far more pervasive way that the demonic manifests themselves in our world today. And I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, which says, uh, Paul talking to a group of Christians who were formerly not Christians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The influence of the demonic is not just limited in the demon-possessed, but rather in the whole course of the world systems that will follow after the spirit of disobedience, the devil and his demons that reject God today. And a very obvious way is that when you look out the world today, in the media or wherever it is, the one thing you won't hear, be hearing them tell you is to honour God and worship Him rightly. Right? That the world and the, its cause of it follows the spirit of disobedience. And that demons in their rejection of God seek to sow chaos and destruction by perpetuating this disobedience and thus the demons knowingly incur God's wrath against them. So remember, demons are dangerous enemies that are completely defeated by Jesus and we need to respond rightly to the spiritual reality. And the first principle that you see in the outline as well is that demons are dangerous enemies that deceive and destroy so we just talked about how demons, the main modus operandi is to um, be disobedient towards God, to drive people towards disobedience towards God. And they mainly do these in two ways. The first um, is to make us think that they're not there. And the, the second is 
to make us think that they have more power than they really do. Both may seem like opposite ends of it, but they achieve the same goal, which is to distract the pers- us from the truth of who God is. And in our culture here in Malaysia, we face a mixture of both. Because on the one hand, we're influenced by Asian culture, which, is, which very much acknowledges the existence of the spiritual, right? Um, but it's likely to give them too much credence and leading to unhelpful superstitions and traditions uh, like the dependence on feng shui or bomo or even dabbling in spiritual powers. But on the other hand, um, for those of us in Malaysia, we, we are also influenced by you know, um, a modern Western thinking that seeks to deny the spiritual reality. Demons, spirits, and even God doesn't exist in their vocabulary. That After you die, there's nothing beyond that, right? And, and like I said, both of these are deceptions by the demons. Because if you ignore, if, if, you, if they can trick you into thinking they don't exist, then they have a free reign to influence and do whatever they want to do. But on the other hand, if they can trick us into thinking they have more power than they actually really have, then they can trap people in, in systems of bondage, in spiritual bondage, right? And that demons trick people away from Christ, from knowing Christ, because they are actually scared of Christ, uh, which is what we will see next in the next passage when they encounter in verses 29 to 31. And behold, when they see Christ, right, when they saw Christ, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, I find it ironic that oftentimes in the Gospels, right, it's the demons when they speak that have the highest uh, form of Christology or the, the most right understanding of Christ rather than the humans that were next to Christ. Maybe next to it were the Gentiles, right, that, that honoured Christ rightly. But the disciples, the, the people of Israel, the Jews, no, they, 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 they don't get who Christ is. So here's what we can see from this passage about, from the words of the demons. Number one, there's three things. Number one, that Jesus is the Son of God that he is divine, that he has authority, that he has power, right? They, they come to him in uh, subservience, really. Okay? They don't come to him as equals. So that's the number one. Jesus is the son of God. Number two, that they know that their doom is sure. They await a time of torment, that Jesus, as God, will judge them. I said just now, they knowingly incur God's wrath by going against God, right? And they know that they will be judged. They are very clear on that. Okay? They're just not clear on when. And number three is that they need Jesus' permission. Like I said, they're subservient to Jesus, right? When you, as you read this encounter, none of you are going like, whoa, this is like a spiritual battle between two giants, right? No, no, no. It's Jesus and the groveling demons. There's no power fight there, right? That they need his permission, that Jesus has complete authority over the demonic. And while it's important for us to not underestimate or ignore the demonic, it's also important for us to remember that they are no match for Jesus. And indeed, we see that Jesus puts an end to the the demon's torment on these men, and he casts them into pigs. Uh, He allows them to go into the pigs who rush over the cliff and are drowned. Now, aside step here, which is, many questions would be like, oh, yo, what a waste of siu or what a waste of pakute, or, you know, pork stew, right? And, and even maybe, oh, well, the poor pigs they had no choice in the matter. And that's very much our modern sensibilities talking, or maybe our Malaysian love for food, right? So speaking. Because the main question is not about 
the value of the pigs, but rather, what is the value of a human life? What price would you put on the spiritual liberation of these two men who were in bondage, who were driven so in control by these demons that they went to places that they did not want to go, or they, they remained with the dead, right? This many pigs, in exchange for the spiritual liberation of these two men, wasn't it worth it? Again, we see here, we're reminded that demons are dangerous enemies that are completely defeated by Jesus, and we need to respond rightly to this spiritual reality. And that Jesus defeats the demons in this narrative, uh, that he does so, that's not even a question, right? But that this encounter was a preview of Jesus' ultimate victory in his death and resurrection, in his victory over the devil and his forces. So our principle for this section is that Jesus completely defeats the demons in his death and resurrection. Now, even as we have read just now from Ephesians chapter 2, that the demons hold sway over the course of this world, right? And that they knowingly incur God's wrath in doing so. Like the demons in this passage today, they know that their doom is sure and they want to drag down as many as possible with them. Because the consequences of disobedience towards God, against rebellions against God, is to face God as a just and righteous judge. And that's the fate of all who would follow the demons and their agenda of disobedience. But as we read on from Ephesians chapter 2, we see that in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We see here two beautiful words. But God, rich in mercy, that when he, came, when he deals with us, he withheld the wrath that we deserve and loved us humans who were in the midst of rebelling against him, dead in our trespasses, and sent his son Jesus. That is why Jesus came amongst our midst. Jesus is God who entered into our humanity. He became human and he entered into our death by dying on the cross. A shameful death for the worst of criminals even though, as God, he maintained his holiness, his righteousness. He did so so that he could bear the full weight of all the things that our sins have earned for us. Guilt, the full weight of our guilt, the full weight of our shame, and the full extent of our death and facing God's wrath. And in exchange, he clothed us with his life, with his honour, with his righteousness. And in his resurrection, Jesus died and he rose again. His body physically rose again and that we're made alive together with Christ, that we're saved by grace, that we don't deserve this, that we don't earn it. So can I pause here for a moment and say that if, if you are someone who is amongst us right now and you do not know Jesus, you do not... Um, will you you do not yet believe in him, can I lovingly ask that you've considered all that I've just been saying and put your trust in him, talk to someone that you know who's Christian and take the next step in your knowing and loving of him. Because I can only pray that we don't respond as in what we see next as the townspeople in, verse, uh, in part 3, verses 33 to 34. 
Now, before we look at the next verses, there's an interesting thing here in that this whole passage, the way Matthew frames it, Jesus only says one word. The whole narrative revolves around Jesus, but in terms of what Jesus actually says, he just says one word. You can check it for yourself. He just says, go, depart. It's a command. Or in modern language, he says, literally, get lost. Right? Scram, and the demons leave. Right? And in fact, uh, this is not new, because in uh, verse 16 of this chapter, Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus already cast out many demons with the word. It's nothing new for the disciples, right? They've seen this happen. So why does Matthew focus on this one particular account? So there are many things that this account shows, and not just that, like the dramatic difference or power differential between Jesus and the demons, and not just even the fact that Jesus made the trip across Galilee to this one place, heal these two men, and then leave, right? And that we can see that Jesus' compassion for these two men to deliver them for spiritual bondage. Not just that, but rather, it gives us an example of how these people responded to Jesus, right? And how do we, how do, how do we see that they respond? In verse 33, the herdsmen fled. Going to the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So there's another parallel that we can see Matthew sets up here between the demons and the townspeople. So on one hand, the townspeople came out to meet Jesus, and the demoniacs came out of the tombs to meet Jesus, and the demons even came out of the men to go into the pigs. All right? They both came out. And when the townspeople saw Jesus, they begged him to leave. Whereas the demons, they begged Jesus in rightful acknowledgement of his authority and in obedience to what he would say, they begged him to be able to, send, to be sent into the pigs. Whereas the townspeople begged him out of their ignorance and out of their rejection of him. Simply put, they had the wrong perspective on what truly mattered and what just happened with Jesus. You see, um, my take is that they treated the demoniacs as a nuisance, right? Um, they tried to manage them, but they couldn't. And they were the known problem, right? They get used to them, I guess. But when Jesus healed the demon-possessed men, they were afraid. Why? Because it could be that they feared the reality of Jesus' power. If they could not control the demonic and there's one more powerful person that come, this powerful person then can make demands on their life more that, that may be a bigger inconvenience than the demons ever could be. It could be that also that they cared more for the economic loss of the pigs rather than the salvation of these two souls. That sometimes they had their priorities reversed. They, they cared more for profit than they cared more for human well-being. And isn't that what we see today? So common. We can see uh, it's common to hear them say, like, Jesus, we, we hope you understand. We don't really want trouble, you see. Uh, we just want to get on with our day-to-day -day lives and just live how we, 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 we want to do best. I mean, yes, maybe you're, you're a great teacher. You can heal people. And we've seen, you know, maybe it's good that you, what you've done for this man, but maybe you should go do this somewhere else, not here amongst us in our lives. That we are afraid of you, that truth be known. We are afraid of the social, the political, the economic impact of what you might call us to be. 
please, Jesus, please just go somewhere else and leave us alone to live our lives in peace. And the tragic thing is, Jesus does as they wish and he leaves the region. Demons are dangerous enemies that are completely defeated by Jesus. And we need to respond rightly to this spiritual reality. And the last principle here is that a right response to the, spirit, the reality of the spiritual world needs a right perspective on Jesus' victory. I've said that the spiritual realm is very real, that demons are real, and that their defeat, the demons' defeat is a real and it's a done deal because of Jesus' victory in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. To those who would seek to deny that the spiritual exists, that there's life beyond death, Jesus' resurrection disabuses of that notion, right? That there is a life after death and that we are answerable to a holy God for all our sins after death. And for those who live in fear, in bondage of the demonic or in fear of the power that demons might have over their lives, the Bible does call us, believers, to be watchful, right? That the enemy does not devour us. But Christians can rest in the victory of the finished work of Christ. That no force of spiritual evil can even match up to Christ. And knowing that demons want to distract us from knowing Christ, the proper response then is to double down in our efforts to know Christ, love Christ, serve Christ more. Because that's the one thing the demons don't want us doing. And for those of us in Christ, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and been given into the, 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 the kingdom of light. And we are called to point others to Christ in hopes that they too may be liberated. And even as demons are still active today, and that where it suits their purpose, they will manifest in demonization, right? Uh, as a church, we are called to bring the gospel's light into that darkness. So if you are aware of any of that, you know, do let us know. We want to be active in doing that, in, in fighting the forces of darkness. Yes. But I suspect that far more common and far more unseen and thus having a larger impact is the people who are still following the course of this world, who by nature are children of wrath, and that the people who are doing so will end up in the same place as those who are actively being demonized. It's a, it's a net win for the demons if these people remain where they are. Do we see rightly that one's eternal fate is far more important than anything that goes on in this life? Even more cuttingly, are we, more, are we content to see others trapped in their superstition, in their spiritual bondage to demons, so long as it doesn't inconvenience us? I say this not preaching from a, 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 a high pedestal, but rather as one who acknowledges my own failures to um, reach out to all, um, well, both of my neighbours on either side of me who are both staunch non-Christians and who have uh, obviously rejected, visibly rejected the gospel um, by another neighbour who tried to um, you know, share during a Christmas event. And I'm praying, how, how do I um, reach that? And, and, and sometimes I may be, if I self-reflect, uh, it may be more towards fear of breaking the relationship rather than actually verbalizing the gospel. So please pray for me as well. But for the rest of us, there's other things that we can do. 
um, starting of first March, there are TNT courses called uh, Six Steps to Talking About Jesus. There is other avenues that the church has to provide to, to, to uh, like Christianity Explored that we can invite our non-Christian friends to, that we can be a part of, that we can help in fighting the spiritual forces of darkness of this evil world. So with all that in mind, let us close in prayer. Father, where we have been lured into a false sense of complacency, where we have been distracted from living for you, from glorifying you, please wake us up. Please stir in our hearts a desire to respond rightly to you. Please remind us once again of our need for your grace and the greater need of those who do not yet know you for the salvation and life that you freely give through the finished work of Jesus. Please embolden us and empower us to glorify you in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.